Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode eight of Kip on Learning. I'm your host, Dave Levin, and with each episode, we'll be sharing insights, inspiration, and challenges from across the Kip network. This month, we'll be talking about the importance of supporting historically black colleges and universities. I'm so excited about our two awesome guests today. Both of these remarkable leaders have been mentors and heroes of mine for over 15 years. Dr. Michael Lomax is the president of the United Negro College Fund and Reed Hastings, the founder and CEO of Netflix. And all three of us used to be teachers. Dr. Lomax has been a lifelong champion for black students in this country and joined the Kip Foundation board in 2006. Thanks to his wisdom and leadership and the experience of Kip graduates, we've seen how black students who attend HBCUs experience a higher sense of belonging. This in turn directly leads to higher college persistence rates as compared to their peers who attend a predominantly white institution. Today, the number of KIPP students who attend a historically black college or university is 1,700 and growing rapidly. Eight of our national college partners are an HBCU. Thank you, Dr. Lomax. When Reed joined our board in 2005, Netflix had 6.3 million subscribers, and all of us were still receiving red envelopes in the mail with DVDs. It feels like a ridiculous understatement to say much has changed. Today, there are 195 million subscribers, and my two boys, 11 and 9, have no idea what a DVD even is. Outside of Netflix, Reed has been a steadfast champion of improving educational opportunities for Black and Latinx kids across this country. Most recently, in mid-June, inspired by the impact of HBCUs, he and his wife, Patty Quillen, donated $120 million in total to the UNCF, Spelman College, and Morehouse College. This incredible gift is the largest individual gift ever given in support of student scholarships at HBCUs. Thank you, Reed. The power and impact and potential of historically black colleges and university is the subject of our conversation today. With Vice President-elect Harris being a graduate of Howard University, and President-elect Biden directly highlighting the work of HBCUs in his plan to strengthen education in the economy. We can be sure this is a conversation that will be continued in the months to come. Dr. Michael Lomax, Reed Hastings, thanks very much for joining us today. So Reed, let's just jump in. I will start with you, Reed. You know, as a KIPP board member and as friends of Dr. Lomax, I know you and Dr. Lomax have spoken much about the importance of HBCUs over the years. What was the deciding factor for you and your wife to make a, such a huge commitment to HBCUs this year? I went to a small, predominantly white institution 35, 40 years ago. I was bragging to Dr. Lomax about me supporting a program for first-gen kids there. Michael said, well, that's great. I'm glad you're doing that. But you know, there's this thing about social and capital isolation that really affects our country. And what it means is that wealthy white people like yourself give to predominantly white institutions and perpetuating, again, the capital isolation. And if you're willing to know some of the HBCUs, probably four or five years ago. And then Patty and I started visiting and becoming a donor, a modest uh, donor, but a donor to several institutions, uh, Morehouse and Spelman included. And then when there was this tragedy this summer of George Floyd and everything that was going on in our country, it made us want to do something um, bigger and more significant as a small uh, beginning and gesture towards 
creating a stronger <clears throat> black middle class. And this seemed like a great way. So it was from the multi-year efforts of Dr. Lomax. Dr. Lomax, let's build from there. I mean, the UNCF and HBCUs, they've received a lot of long overdue visibility and support this year. And obviously none more prominent than our new vice president-elect, Harris, who went to Howard. And so how do you hope to keep the momentum of gifts like Reed and Patty gave and the attention? And how do you hope to translate that into more positive change for HBCUs? Well, as you said, it is long overdue. And, you know, it's something that we've been working on for a long time at at UNCF. Obviously, we're a 76-year-old organization. We've been making the case for supporting HBCUs. And, you know, we've raised $5 billion over the 76 years, so there has been support. But I would say that what we're experiencing now is the ignition of a new generation of support for these institutions. And, you know, it's been the result of two things, I would say. One of them is obviously the George Floyd killing just focused so much on inequity and also obviously following COVID where you saw so many young people and black and brown kids really hit hard by this. But underneath the giving this time has really been just a lot of long-term education and working together with this new generation of philanthropists and saying, you've been involved with a great charter management organization like KIPP, public charter schools, doing great work helping black and brown kids get a great education that prepares them for college, career, and life. A lot of these kids wanna go to HBCUs and they need support in order to be able to do that. Let's connect the dots. And, you know, so that when Reed and Patty decided to visit and then a year later to make a big gift, their visibility and the visibility of that gift, I think also triggered a lot of other support. And so, you know, you can do all the work that you think is going to lead to something and then something serendipitous will happen, which will take it not over the finish line, but will really be ignited. And I think their visit was a big ignition. Let's stay there for a minute, Dr. Lomax, and read as well for you. Like when you think of ignition and you think of changing how philanthropists think about HBCUs, what thoughts or advice, Reed, do you have for other philanthropists? And Dr. Lomax, as you try to recruit new philanthropists to uh, people who don't haven't historically supported HBCUs, how are you spreading the word about sort of what has inspired you? Well, I think to many people of my background, HBCUs seem like an anachronism because the dream is integration. The dream is, you know, everybody gets a shot at, you know, going to elite institutions that have been PWIs or are PWIs. And so it takes some opening of the mind to, it may be a better experience for many of our uh, Black college students to be in an HBCU where they're surrounded by Black excellence of multiple different dimensions. They, for some kids, they come out of that with incredible confidence and the academics, ready to thrive in a predominantly white world, in the business side and government side, many institutions. And so it's the fact that 
help the supportive environment of the HBCU, again, for some students, is a key positive stepping stone to their economic prosperity. And I just didn't get, hadn't gotten that connection until a combination of uh, Dr. Lomax and then the students themselves talking about what the experience meant to them. I was a college president and I always thought my best advancement people were the students themselves. If I could get them in front of somebody, they could really make a compelling case for why. And so again, Reed and Patty opened up to that opportunity. And I really think that, you know, for me, it's how do I keep doing this work? I try to get people to come and make more visits. Now we, we can't do that right now, but I think you'll see a lot more visiting to these campuses and people who didn't know them will get to know them better. But I just think it's really important for us to remember that what really was a unique feature of American higher education is that it's diverse. You know, there are small private institutions, there are large private institutions, there are small public institutions, there are large ones, there are religious affiliated institutions, there are, you know, Methodist schools and Catholic schools, there are yeshivas with you know Jewish heritage, and then there are HBCUs. I gotta say this to Reed. Reed went to Bowdoin. And when I was a student at Morehouse, we used to have exchange programs. And every spring, two or three guys would come down from Bowdoin, and two or three Morehouse guys would go up to Maine. And you know, I think that that was so wonderful. But I never wanted to go to Bowdoin. I just wanted to go to Morehouse, but I didn't want to, you know, that was the right place for me. But Bowdoin was the right place for others. And, you know, I just think we it's not either or, it's got to be all of the above. Give people a, choice, a, a chance to choose. And then, final point, make sure that these institutions that are magnets for students and do make a difference, we got to do a better job of making sure they have the resources to give them the kind of educational opportunity that they want. Let's stay with resources for a second, because at the top of the year, we announced a partnership, KIPP announced a partnership with Howard University, including, very exciting, the creation of a $1 million undergraduate scholarship in your name and honor, the Lomax KIPP Scholarship Program. It was part of a $10 million gift to Howard from the Karsh family. So why are scholarships like this Lomax KIPP scholarship so important right now at HBCUs? Well, scholarships are, you know, they're the ticket that kids need. I mean, you know, they pay the bill and they don't make them borrow. And in the case of the scholarships that Reed and Patty are providing and that the Karshas are providing, they're generous scholarships that cover, you know, most of the cost of attendance for these students. You know, scholarships are great because they cover the cost of the students, but they're also revenue to the institution. And, you know, so they do double duty. I'm a big fan of scholarships, and that's what I spend a lot of time trying to say to donors. That's a way of helping kids, but it's also a great way of helping the institution itself be better. Dr. Lomax, both you and Reed talked about, you know, students as ambassadors. And you've been each in this work for a long time. So Reed, let's start with you and then Dr. Lomax. What have you learned from KIPP students and other students that you've interacted with on like how education and our broad support of it needs to change or evolve from where you may have been five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, you know, when you started down this path? 
I think early on, I thought that public education, but more specifically, a great public school for every kid was the key to everything. And if you could somehow achieve that, society would be completely transformed. And as I've watched uh, kids who do well in undergraduate and in high school sometimes struggle when they get to the workplace, I've realized that it's really a more multi-layered problem around capital, lack of it, around racism, around opportunity that's multi-layered. And, you know, public education is still a super important part. It's the part that I know best. It's the part that I'm working on. But all these societal challenges are multi-layered. You've been involved with HBCUs, you know, for a long time, right? As a student, as a president now, as president of a college, now as a president of the UNCF. You know, how have the needs of black students evolved over the last 25 years? What's the same? What's different than it was? Well, you know, HBCUs attract just proportionately a very particular kind of black student. They have always attracted first generation low income students in very large numbers. You know, half of the students at an HBCU will be the first in their family to go to college. And at most HBCUs, about 75% of them, the students are Pell eligible. So for them, college is a new experience. The family social capital to navigate. Nobody says this is what you do during freshman week. This is how you you know, make these decisions. And this is what it's like to live in a dorm. The schools themselves provide a kind of familial environment, a kind of nurturing attention to that student's needs and a welcoming quality to them that I think is really important for them. Is there anything unique today about the student experience that is, you know, you would say is fundamentally different than it was 10 years ago, other than well, that everyone is streaming Netflix and will lead me well, to a conversation well, about I was gonna say, that people are watching, but yeah. I think that this year in particular, Dave, and probably for a while yet to come, the traumas of living through COVID, the traumas of the disappointment isn't even a good enough word that the college experience that they thought they were going to have and the senior experience they thought they were going to have last year is not what the one that they're having. And fear is a big part of everything that they do. I don't know that that's just for black students. I don't think it's just for students at HBCUs. I think this generation that has experienced COVID is either going to be a very strong generation, but certainly one with a very strong personality. You know, you can always tell people, maybe not as much anymore, because there are as many of them, who were Depression-era students. They, you know, they're probably very careful about spending, saving. How these students come back, what are their characteristics of their resiliency? I don't know, but I think that this this is an experience that they're having which will mark them and mark this generation. I see that with my own two sons. I do think it will change the way people think about how we interact as a society because it's forced us to think about distance and and how we interact, you know, so closely. And I think you're right about the impact there. Reed, we've got two more questions, one more for each of you and then together. Dr. Lomax talked about pipeline. He talked about belonging. 
So Netflix is regarded as a leader in its pipeline work for bringing in new talent. You've sponsored a new partnership with another HBCU, Norfolk State University, to do exactly that. You have more leaders of color in your organization than many in the tech industry. And I know you are hoping to grow that because you still feel like it could be much bigger. And of course, your content is considered more diverse than just about anywhere else. So what is your commitment to equity at Netflix over the next five to 10 years on both sides, the pipeline side and the content side? And sort of where do you see your organization evolving? You know, we always seek to do better. That's the main thing in every dimension. And we want to be better at equity than we've been in the past and continue to improve multiple dimensions. One of the more challenging is global. Most of our members viewing is outside of the U.S. and our international employees are underrepresented. And then, of course, we've got the U.S. dimensions, gender, race, uh, sexual orientation. And, you know, we're trying to make progress on the numbers on all of those. And we're doing well on that. We're also trying to make progress on how it feels to people or the inclusion aspect of it. It's a little harder to measure, but, you know, we're certainly investing in. So I would say it's across all of those dimensions. And why has Netflix become the destination for so many leading Black artists who are directors, producers, actors? What do you attribute that to? You know, our peers are doing great work too. HBO has been supporting Black artists for, you know, as long as they've been around 40 years. Of course, Disney had Black Panther. So I think what's great is all of the entertainment industry, including Netflix, is uh, seeking an opportunity to help uh, nudge society with incredible content featuring diverse stories, again, from around the world and lots from underrepresented groups in the U.S. Hey, can I say something about that? I mean, for me, I just think it is so incredible that real stories that are not stereotypes created by Black creatives are, that's also going to leave a big imprint on this generation, that they're seeing people so differently and they're learning about them from their own stories as they tell them. And that's not all the content on there. but And then it just mixes up in all kinds of places because there's so much extraordinary talent that in an earlier generation would never have gotten a chance to perform or to tell stories or to do. And I think that's a rich piece of the day. I think the fact that Netflix is doing it and everybody else is competing to do that very well is a hopeful sign for the future. Amen to that. You spoke about the impact that George Floyd's murder had on you and Patty in bringing you to the your support of HBCUs at the level it is. So, Dr. Lomax, I'd love for this question to go to you. You know, what role do you think HBCUs play in the fight for racial justice today? You know, I think it's really interesting. When COVID hit, we thought it would potentially be an existential moment for UNCF. We cut our expenses. Everybody took a pay cut. We hunkered down. We thought we won't be able to raise money in this environment. And we were doing pretty good up until George Floyd's death. When George Floyd died, was murdered, something happened that I didn't expect. And that is just people 
at every economic level and every way of giving. I mean, 100,000 people have made contributions online to UNCF since his death. And what they said is, we're outraged by what happened, but we think education is part of the solve. And we think historically black colleges are part of the solve. We didn't have to issue a statement about our commitment to black lives. We didn't have to issue a statement about our commitment to justice and equity. People just knew that. And they felt like if I'm gonna do something productive and constructive about it, this is a place to do it. They gave to you know, they gave to the NAACP, they gave to the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, they gave to a number of, but they gave to education. And for me, it's like an affirmation that people really understand that there are crisis interventions and then there are long, there's long-term work. You know, one of the reasons why we work so closely with KIPP, public charter schools, is because you're doing a great job with black and brown kids. And many of them will be the first in their families to go to college. And we want to be your partners and help make sure that they cross that finish line. And I think that we, for us, we see you doing that work and we know that that's the work we do. I think we have to do a better job telling the story to all the people that for us to really get this done, we got to have more people working together, partnering. So because no one organization can do all the work, but if we all do the do part of the work, we'll have the big impact. As always, Michael, you predict the future. My last question for both of you is that is where do we go from here? on public education, on the fight for racial justice, and with the new administration, you know, how do you think the conversation and the policies around public education is going to shift? I'm going to let Reed answer that. (laughs) (laughs) I think we're going up and out. We got Biden, we got the vaccine, and next we got to have an anti-racist society. And, you know, we're going to have a lot of momentum by a year from now. And, you know, everyone I know of is very focused on not having George Floyd be Rodney King and have it be a temporary moment. We got to dig in. And, you know, what's different is white people feel, or many feel a sense of responsibility. And we have to be a bigger part of the solution in collaboration and allyship with our black colleagues and not contain the solution to somebody else. And I think we got to look at reparations. We got to figure out how do we think about our current situation in America, like a toxic waste dump, like Love Canal, which was a toxic waste dump that a school was built on in the 1960s. And ultimately, the government couldn't figure out who to blame for it. So instead, they created the super fund, this gigantic fund to work on cleaning up the toxic waste. Well, I think we need something like that. We got to super fund this problem and have massive investment in schools, in housing, in employment. And if we do that, we can make a lot of progress. So I'm optimistic that we have a shot at it over the next couple of years. I I accept 100% what Reed is saying and embrace that. I would just go deeper on education because 
what we're going to see on the other side of COVID is we're going to see, we're going to focus on the fact that so many people lost their jobs. They don't have the skills that they need to compete for the jobs that exist today. We're going to learn that at so many public schools across America, children who were behind already are now farther behind. So we've got a lot of really hard work to do to ensure that we don't lose generations of people who remain marginalized because they don't have the educational preparation, the skills and the knowledge that they need to compete. So I'm hopeful that all of us who believe in education will realize that what differentiates us is not significant. What causes us to be, you know, in arguing with one another, stop fighting about the things we disagree on and let's see if we can find common ground to do the work. I don't think common ground necessarily means that it's meaningless and, you know, doesn't account. I think we have to figure out how to do big things together. And so, look, this education arc begins at birth and it doesn't end until you stop being. And so we got to help people at every point along that arc be the best people they can be and giving them the tools to make themselves the best. And edu- that's what education does. So I hope that we're really going to focus on that. I hope it's not going to be education reformers versus traditional educators. I do think it should be a new definition of public education that embraces our charter schools and our traditional schools and says, you know, we got to help those kids and those families regardless of which of those. And we need to learn from one another and we need to start earlier. We need to do it more intensively. And we probably need to bring folks back in to our schools and give them the skills that they need at 35 to be able to compete in America and live a good life. And so I think this is an education moment. I'm a patriot. I think all patriots need to get in there and say, we're going to support our government. And our government is going to be led by, I think, two wonderful and very different people and not necessarily the ones I thought. But I think this is a moment for Joe Biden and for Kamala Harris to lead us. And I intend to be a follower, an active follower. Wow. I'm not sure how to follow that up other than to say if President-elect Biden or Vice President-elect Harris watched this, perhaps a Secretary Lomax <laughs> may be in our future around education. So read. Dr. Lomax, thank you both so much for taking so much time to share your wisdom and thoughts with us today. Thank you to both Dr. Lomax and Reed for joining us. You both are fierce champions for Black and Latinx kids and our country is better for it. Currently, 13% of KIPP alumni are enrolled at HBCUs. The reason our collective support as individuals and as a society for HBCUs is so essential is because HBCUs represent a unique and powerful path for belonging and success for Black students. We've talked a bunch today about numbers. I wanna close with a story, the story of Khadija Marshall from Atlanta. Khadija is one of the first recipients of the Lomax KIPP scholarship. She was headed to Vanderbilt University, predominantly white institution, with a full ride to study pre-med focusing on neuroscience. 
Earlier, Khadijah had visited Howard University twice and loved the school. The close relationship she saw between professors and students, the energy, the connection to other black students. Financially, however, Vanderbilt was able to offer way more. The Lomax Kip Scholarship changed this and empowered Khadijah to make a choice of college not driven by dollars, but by her heart and dreams. She is now at Howard. Her story is like so many other students at Kip. HBCUs provide our black students a place built for them, a place where they feel seen and their experiences shared. As you probably can tell, Kip is deeply committed to doing everything we can to support HBCUs, and we hope each of you listening will do the same. Thanks for listening to Kip on Learning Podcast. If you like what you hear, subscribe to get alerted about new podcasts and visit our website, kip.org, for job opportunities and information about our schools. We will be back soon with even more inspiration and insights from our community.